Good morning, church. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good morning, church. I'm so excited to see you this morning on Resurrection Sunday. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Uh, just so you know, you don't need an Easter Sunday to have a resurrection morning. Uh, but we're going to go to the resurrection today. I want you to stand to your feet with me today. We're gonna, I know you've been standing. It's okay. You just had three minutes to sit down. You should be good. Let's stand back up. We call these Christian calisthenics. Get our exercise in for all of us that didn't make it to the gym this week. We're going to do it today together. I do want to say that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, God in the flesh. And just a few days ago, he was beaten, hung on a cross, brutally murdered, and placed in the grave. And his final moments are detailed in John 19, verses 28 through 30. Let's read that together. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. A jar full of Sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the wine, he said, check please, no. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. I want to talk to you today about it is finished. Those three words can mean very different things. For example, if I were an artist and I had a large canvas and I got all the colors that I wanted and I painted a, a beautiful mountain or a beautiful ocean and I spent all the time I wanted, but when the last drop of paint was applied, I could step back and say, it is good. You're catching on. Or there could be a spouse in the room who's been struggling in your marriage day after day and you're tired. And maybe just this week you said to yourself, it is. Or it could be the, the person who has been dealing with cancer and you just got word that the cancer is gone. You finished your last chemotherapy treatment and as you walk out of the hospital, you ring that bell and you think to yourself excitedly, it is finished. Or maybe the doctor says it as he's sitting across the desk and they've tried every treatment option that they could think of. And he looks at the patient and he said, I'm sorry, it is finished. It is finished. When Jesus spoke these words, it is finished, it could have meant a number of things. He could have been saying, my life is over. Or he could have been saying, the masterpiece is complete. It is finished. You know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes I go to the grocery store and I think of this elaborate meal. Probably I've been watching MasterChef in the moment. And I see the lasagna, I see the fried chicken, I see you know, all the things that I think, I, I can do that. And so I run to the store and I spend an hour just finding the ingredients and I get all of this stuff for what I'm about to make. And then I get home and I put the bags on the counter and I say, it's finished. Let's order pizza. Anyone else? You ever do that? You use it at is finished in, in multiple ways. And the most curious thing to me in our text, Jesus says it is finished while he's still on the cross. This is before he ever walked out of the tomb. How can he say it is finished when the stone that's going to be rolled away hasn't yet even been rolled in place? Yet it is finished. How many know that it might be finished, but it's not over. It might be finished, but it's not over. Look at three people right now and say, it's not over. Come on, three people, three of the best looking people you can find say, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. I'm looking around at all of your shoes today because Easter is a good day to judge. <laughs> you're wearing great shoes. I can't see most of you. So if you're self-conscious right now, just know I've already seen yours and they're beautiful. I love them. But I hope, Stefan, 
you're wearing shoes kind of like mine. I like yours a little bit better than mine, but the problem with these shoes right now, we can trade what size you wear. (laughs) I'm an 18, bro. What was I saying before I was going to take your shoes? I really was going to trade you right now, but I can't wear a 13, but thank you. If you want to buy me a gift, though, I wear size 11. You need good shoes today. I hope you didn't dress too nice like Stefan today because we're going to go on a walk. Is that all right with you? Some of you are like, I have not done that in 12 years. (laughs) We're going to go on a walk together today. So I hope you're wearing the right shoes, even though you look fancy, because we're going to go on a seven-mile walk. I know. It's it's, it's a long ways. A seven-mile walk. And on this walk together, we might get a little tired. We might get a little irritable. We might get a little hangry. (laughs) Some of you, I know you get hangry. We might get a little dirty. But how many know that progress isn't pretty? This seven-mile walk that we're going on today may be a little bit difficult for all of us, but progress isn't pretty. I want to know today if you're going to go with me. Are you ready to go? Our shoes are ready. Our hearts are ready. We've got the courage and the boldness to take a a seven-mile walk. Father, we come before you today. Oh, God, you're so good to us, better than we deserve. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you on this day that we get to celebrate the resurrected King God, I I just ask that you would allow us to see where you are in the room. I know, Holy Spirit, we don't have to invite you here. You've invited us into your presence. We say yes. We say yes to this moment to hear from heaven. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. Before you're seated, I want you to find at least five people. Give them a fist bump, maybe a hug. And I want you to tell them a lot can happen in seven miles. And then you may be seated. can happen in seven miles. Mm. I am somewhat a new runner who somewhat is trying to be somewhat consistent. And I have learned that a lot can happen in three miles. (laughs) Three miles is kind of my max where I'm at currently right now. And a lot can happen in three miles. And I will find all kinds of excuses not to run those three miles. Hear me. I will be running in Pflugerville Park, no one around, no people, no animals, and I'll see something and I'll think to myself, I've got to rescue that cat in the tree, knowing it's a squirrel. I know it's a squirrel, but I'm just looking for reasons to not finish the three miles because a lot can happen in three miles. But I want to talk to you today about seven miles. There's a story in Scripture in the Gospel of Luke that happened on today on Resurrection Sunday that involves seven miles. And I'm not going to talk about Jesus and the cross specifically or the grave specifically. We kind of maybe have heard that in, uh, in the community as we're growing up around Christendom. But I do want to talk about another event that happened on Resurrection Sunday that applies an awful lot to you and I, and it has seven miles in it. So we're going to take a seven-mile journey today. We're going to read a lot of Scripture a lot of scripture, but I'm going to go kind of verse by verse, break it down for you. We'll just talk as we go. Is it all right if I just tell the story of a seven-mile journey this morning? Thank you. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 17. Now that same day, which day is it? Resurrection Sunday. Now that same day, two disciples, it's not the original 11 but it's two other disciples. We'll find out who in just a bit. They're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, after he had walked out of the grave, comes up to them on this road and walked along with them for seven miles. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. These two people who had followed Jesus for multiple years, they're walking a seven-mile stretch of road. He's standing right in front of them. They had just witnessed him die on the cross a few days ago, had probably sat around a campfire eating fish and chips at some point in the last three years. And these cats now are walking side by side Jesus, and they're kept from recognizing him. Verse 13, sorry, 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Now let's just pause for a moment and let's just acknowledge the seven miles is significant. In scripture, any number that you read, it means something. God doesn't put things in the word just to be random. Seven is the number of completion. It took seven days to create the heavens and the earth. Seven is the number of times they marched around Jericho. Seven means it is finished, it is done. So we know in our story already, just because we saw the letter, the number seven, that something is going to come full circle. We're going to read something that finds its completion in this story. And by the way, they're headed to a little town called Emmaus. It's an insignificant village, nothing noteworthy. Maybe these two followers of Jesus were going back to their homeland. Maybe they were from Emmaus. Maybe they have relatives there and they just discovered the disappointment of the crucifixion and it's the third day. Maybe they're going home to to Granny's Biscuits and Gravy. Maybe they're going home to Emmaus. They're looking for an open Chick-fil-A. And they don't know yet from Kanye that Chick-fil-A ain't open on Sunday. We don't know why they're headed to Emmaus, but they're headed to this podunk town, means nothing, don't don't even know where it is on the map. People, scholars don't even know where this place is, but the Bible finds it important to let us know that they're headed somewhere that's really insignificant. And it was on Sunday, the first day of the week, the same day that Jesus walked out of the grave holding keys to death, hell, and the grave. We read on in verse Let's just read 13 through 17 again, just to give you more context. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them as if he didn't know, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They were sad. Uh, They weren't happy like all of you. Or maybe they just don't yet know how to pretend to be happy like many of us. (laughs) But they were downcast. One of them named Cleopas. What a name. Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus, playing games says, what things, he asked. And they started telling Jesus about Jesus. (laughs) They start giving God advice on how to run the universe. Have you ever been praying or called it praying, but you were really just trying to manipulate God to get an outcome that you really wanted to see? I I need to back up. That's too personal for even me. Sometimes we'll call it praying, but we're not really surrendering anything to God. We're just putting in our checklist, our Christmas list of what we want him to do for us and what we think we deserve. Or, or sometimes that, it's that false humility. Oh, no, I'm going to pray for everyone else but me. I don't, I don't need to be blessed. I don't deserve to be blessed. If you're a child of God, you deserve to be blessed, and God wants to bless you. We know from Jabez that there are prayers in Scripture that says, God bless me a lot today. So that's what I, I wake up every morning. It's like, God, bless me more today than you did yesterday. Bless me a lot today. Didn't go the way they thought. They had walked with Jesus. I mean, these guys, we have a, 
We have a benefit that they did not have. We get to look back 2,000 years and see it all in perspective, but these guys were in the middle of it, and sometimes when you're so close to something, you can't perceive what's right in front of your face, and so we, you and I, have the luxury of reading the Scripture, and sometimes we think, oh, the disciples are just so dense. Why didn't they get it? But here's Cleopas and another person. We don't know who the other person was. Some think it's Luke. Some think, some think it's Cleopas's wife, Miss Cleo. We don't know. <laughs> that one was funny. I don't care who you are. We don't know who the, the two people are, but we know that they're, they're downcast and they're upset. And why are they upset? Because they had an expectation of Jesus that Jesus didn't meet. They didn't, they didn't see the thing that they wanted to see. Instead, they were seeing Jesus for who he truly was, and it wasn't enough for them. They're stuck in what was. They wanted Jesus to come and rescue Israel. So many agendas and goals and hopes that they had for Israel, and it wasn't even on Jesus' radar. How many things are you and I crying out to God about, and it's just not even on his radar? Like, like we're crying about some little thing over here that we think is so important. Meanwhile, people are dying. People are dying and going to hell, and we, we don't really invest in praying over that, and God help me and use me to actually make a difference in the world. Instead, we're just so consumed with that little thing that we need changed. They were stuck in what was. And the, the thing that I've noticed in our text is they couldn't hardly get to what is because they were stuck in what was. And Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet. He was. They were already talking about the great I am, present tense, as a he was. Did you catch that? Jesus of Nazareth, I think that's verse 19. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There's a lot of past tense going on. If your discussions all involve past tense, you are fully missing what God is doing in the present in your life. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that Jesus would make his agenda political. We had hoped that he would deliver Israel from the oppressive Romans. We had hoped that he was going to show the world who's boss. I had hoped that this would be my year. I had hoped that I would be married this year. I had hoped that the pain of loss would be gone by now. I had hoped that my body would be healed by now. I had hoped that the impulse of addiction would have been gone by now. We have a lot of we had hoped in the room. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. I just think that's hilarious. They're living in dismay and regret, yet they knew the third day promise. They knew what was going to happen on the third day. And they, they're stuck in we had hoped, oh, and by the way, it's the third day. Could you have waited till day four? It's almost like God had timed this meeting perfectly. At the time of the possibility, the resurrection is imminent. Their hope is at the lowest. So it's a collision right now. What we're reading is a collision. It's a crisis of faith on the third day. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the... Some of our women amazed us. It's always the women that amaze everybody. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now keep in mind, this is the two downcast people. This is Eeyore and Companion. 
Cleo and companion. And they're retelling the story of what had been circulating that morning about Jesus being risen from the dead, verifying the tomb, and his body's not in the grave, and yet they're still downcast. Not only that, they're leaving Jerusalem. And they're looking at Jesus. (laughs) They're looking at Jesus. Explain to Jesus how somebody else couldn't see Jesus. Because it's always easier for us to recognize someone else's blindness than our own. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Zero in on this verse. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So the rest of the seven-mile journey, Jesus goes all the way back to Moses and the prophets, retells all of the stories that they had heard, no doubt from childhood. They had memorized much of the Torah, I'm sure, and all of their religious studies. Jesus goes back to Moses, explains the stories, and how everything in the Old Testament is an allegory, is a a pointer to Jesus in the New Testament. I would have loved to be on that seven-mile stretch of road hearing Jesus teach a sermon on Old Testament survey. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did, and yet they still could not see him. Our expectations go negative. I'm not blaming Cleo. Cleo's not a bad guy. I'm not making fun of Cleo. If you feel like a Cleo today, I get it. I've been a Cleo too. We've all been a Cleo at one time or another where we just couldn't see what was right in front of our face because human nature is to go negative. Mine is. I'm sure that some of you are Pollyannas. Some of you are so optimist that you can't see. When the house is burning down, you think it's just heating up for winter. Maybe that's you. I'm not sure. I'm the type, though, that if I park on the hill and I leave my car in neutral, I'm going to roll backwards. Because there's always a lot of gravity everywhere I go. And that's that's what happens, Charles. That's what happens when you just allow things to happen and there's no intention, there's no focus, there's no discipline, there's no goals, there's no dreaming together. There's no purpose in your life. You are guaranteed to not stay the same. I promise you, you will not be the same tomorrow. You will be better or you will be worse. Because human nature is to go negative. And these two travelers this morning, symbolic of many of us, and we have to actively set our heart on purpose and on heaven. Because your heart, by default, will want to be deceptive. By default, it will want to get you depressed and filled with anxiety. By default, it will get you filled with doubt. By default, it will get you filled with anger. So you and I are a lot like the two travelers this morning. So let's not make fun of Cleo because Cleo is us and we are him. Let's talk instead about what Jesus revealed to them on this seven-mile walk. Now, if you're taking notes today, I'm just going to give you three words and then we're done. I'm going to just talk an awful lot between each word. The first word is reach. Reach. I hope you're taking notes today and you can put it on your refrigerator and talk about it with your friends when they come over. On this seven-mile journey, we learn about reach. Now, I'll just tell you right now, this is good news for all of us because in this season of life, everything you need is available within your reach. Let me say that again for some of you striving to find the next big thing. Everything that you need in this season, you're not going to be in this season forever. You're headed to a higher season. You're headed to the next season. But everything you need in this season is within your reach. And if you're not careful, you're constantly looking for the things that are for the next season instead of grabbing the things that you need for this season. 
Everything you need for victory is within your reach. Even if it's a shepherd's staff, it's in our reach. A little bit of oil in your house that you forgot about is within your reach. Everything you need is within your reach. You know what some of us are trying to do? Some of us are trying to do what God has called us to do without using the things within our reach. And then I get frustrated because you can't hear me on the back row. I blame the acoustics of the room. I blame the stripes on the wall that's absorbing more sound. I blame all the people that showed up today. Why'd you show up on Easter? There's too many of you sucking up all the AC and my voice isn't carrying to the back. But if I would just take a moment and observe my surroundings, I would see that everything I need in this season is within my reach. And God has all you got to do is pick up what God has placed before you. So we're going to stop blaming the paint. I quite like the stripes. We're going to stop blaming the people on the back row. I like most of you too. Every one of you. I actually know all of you on the back row. That's why I'm just saying that. Luis, we got some talking to do, but <laughs> why do we want to blame circumstances when the truth of the matter is God has already placed inside of you everything that you need in this season of your life? There is one thing outside of your reach, though. Righteousness. Righteousness is beyond your reach. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that even on our, our most holy days, even on our best days, even when we just stay in bed all day so we don't like cuss out the world, you know what I mean? Even on the days that we lock ourselves away and we don't, don't go to a store and don't get in the line that says 10 items and you got that clown that does 18 every time right in front of you. Even if I just lock myself away and I don't watch TV, I don't open my computer, I don't tempt myself at all, even on my best days, I fall woefully short to the beauty of God. And so I've learned a long time ago, I need to stop trying to perform for righteousness because that's just beyond my reach. Religion. Religion would tell you that you need to perform better so that you look more righteous. Religion would try to tell us this morning that if you do certain things, you're going to just be more holy. But that's a lie from religion. Religion underestimates the other reach that we learn on this seven-mile stretch of road, and that's the reach of grace. The reach of the hand of God that can go further than you can run. The reach of grace that isn't limited by circumstance. It's not limited by wall color. It's not limited by bank accounts. Jesus walked with them for seven miles to teach them a lesson on grace. Religion wants you to believe that Jesus walks with you only. You know that song? I was just thinking about this. I grew up in the church, so there are a lot of things that I know that you just really wouldn't do now, I suppose. But there's a really good old song I learned the country church I grew up in, and it says, maybe you know it too, um, and he walks, and that's all it took for you to know it. You are oversaved. Congratulations. Some of you were trying to pinpoint that. Is that Usher? Is that Beyonce? What is that? What is the song? And you don't have to sing it. Talks with me. Tells me that I. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. I used to think that that meant he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I'm his own only when I'm headed in the direction he wants me to go. But that's not the truth. God isn't there and present with you and talking to you and knowing your name only when you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. We learned that on the seven-mile stretch of road. These two disciples, downcast, they're, they're, 
upset, heading away from where the future promise is supposed to be. The Holy Spirit in a matter of days is going to be released in Jerusalem and they're headed to Emmaus. Emmaus. Not even on the map, but Jesus still chose to walk with them and to talk with them. Religion is focused on your reach. Grace comes along and says, what my hand that my hand isn't too short for the distance that you can reach. Religion will look at you and say, there's no hope for someone like you in church. They're going to kick you out of church. That's what religion would say. Grace would say, you're the exact reason Jesus died on the cross. You are the reason there is a church. You are the reason we're gathering here today. Not because you're perfect. Not because you've got it all together. We don't want to kick you out and say that you can't come. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason Jesus showed up today. You're the reason that the Holy Spirit is here today. You are the reason for church. And Jesus takes some time out of his 40-day window. After he raises from the dead, he's going to spend 40 days on earth meeting different people. In fact, you could research. Some of you are good at research. You could go look up Josephus a secular historian of the time who lists all of the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus who he made his way to in this 40-day window. On day one, walking out of the grave, Jesus decides to go walk seven miles with Cleo. I don't know, I just love the fact that on the biggest Sunday of the year, Resurrection Sunday, the first one, the first of annual Resurrection Sundays, Jesus has taken time to walk with Cleo. And you know, we are a destination people. We have a destination mindset, meaning we're always looking to where we're going But God is not a destination God. God is a detour God. He's not so focused on where we're going. He's not sitting there at the island of perfection waiting for you to get there. The destination doesn't matter. He's actually just wanting to step into your seven-mile journey and spend some time talking with you before you get there. He's a detour God. You know what that means, don't you? That means he will chase you down in the back of the room, Luis. He will chase you down on that back row. He will chase you down outside. He will chase you down in the clubs. He will chase you down in the hospital. He will chase you down in prison because God is not a God of the destination. He's not hovering over a church waiting for all the sinners to get here. In fact, on Easter Sunday today, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't show up in a suit to any church in America. I'm pretty sure he's out walking the streets looking for a Cleo. Because he's not a God of the destination. He's a God of the detour. Man, I'm really out of time. Keep going? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. On the seven-mile journey, it's about reach. It's also about resource. Everybody say resource. Jesus walks up and says, what are you talking about? Now, I've always said, personally, you've heard me say this, that God is a gentleman and he won't force himself on anybody. And generally, I can back that up with Scripture, but this is one story I can't. This is one story that Jesus forgot personal space. Two guys walking on a road, and Jesus just walks up and says, Hey, what's up? What what are you talking about? You know, if someone did that to me, I'd be like, Excuse me, who are you? In this moment, Jesus invited himself to the table. Because he understood on the journey that there was about to be some resource that needed to be released. Now, I'm, I'm shocked I'm not shocked by their despair. After all, they just witnessed the crucifixion. They, they heard about the resurrection. I'm not shocked about their despair. But here is what I am shocked about. It's the third day. 
They're leaving on the third day. They have, they've even heard the reports coming in about the resurrection, and they weren't willing to wait it out. Because they were lacking a resource called hope. And we see that on a seven-mile stretch of road. Some of you here today are lacking a resource called hope. Hope is a resource. I'm not talking about hype. Hype is what everybody sees when we show up here together and the way they think you are. Hope is when no one is watching. We all got the hype down. But what about Monday morning? What about Wednesday evening? What about Thursday morning? When the kids are screaming or we're arguing with the spouse or life is just going absolutely insane. Where, where is the hope? They speak in the past tense, we had hoped. Hope is difficult during the gap. Hope is dear, difficult in the process of waiting. I, I know this firsthand because I like to work out. I don't really like to work out. Some days I like to work out. But what I really needed to do was rescue my life. I decided if I didn't change, I was going to die. If I didn't do something different, I was going to die. So I didn't work out because I wanted to look better. I mean, that was a side benefit. I'm not even going to lie. But a couple of months out of every week, I had trouble walking from gout. I had blood pressure issues through the roof. I was on medication for it. It wasn't working. I finally stopped taking it because I was frustrated and my doctor was getting mad with me. Um, at, At one point in my health journey, The doctor said, if things don't change, you won't live another year. And there were a variety of choices and factors and things that I, you know, had gotten into. And one of them was Chick-fil-A, Monday through Saturday. But I worked out once and then I got angry because I didn't see a difference. I stepped on the scale the day after I worked out and I couldn't figure out why I was carrying two pounds more. Anyone ever been there? I'm not going to lie. I, I will gain some weight and realize it's time for me to get healthy again or focus on it and I'll go eat a salad and I'll get ticked that I didn't lose that five pounds by the next day. I get real excited in the moment of doing something, but then there's this thing called the gap between when the hope was born and when the promise is actualized. And somewhere in this gap where things don't seem to be changing, where I don't feel like I have the motivation to continue on with what I wanted to do in the beginning, and I'm just comparing it to working out. It might be something else for you. I I compare it to eating salads and eating healthy. It might be something else for you. It might be the addiction that you have. I understand the life of addiction. I understand what it means to abuse alcohol, to want to negotiate with yourself and to cut back and stop using it, but you run to it because an addict actually can't negotiate with themselves. I I get that. I've, I've lived that. I've walked through it. I've had the courage and been repentant and sorry that I drank too much and I'm never going to do this again. And I make promises to myself that I can't keep because somewhere between the broken heart of making a poor choice and living out life consistently, there's this thing called the gap where hope sometimes just runs really dry. But on a seven-mile stretch of road, There's a resource called hope. You may not see it. You may not recognize it. You may not know that it's there. But we have a process to go through. Between the hope and the fulfillment, there's a process. Now, if you're a business owner in the room today, you understand this concept maybe better than people who aren't business owners. You don't devalue the process because for your business to be profitable, there is a period of time between the vision 
and the money, and that's called process. And if you don't work the process, your business will never be profitable. Right? Just because you get a license to be something, a license to be a doctor, but you never see patients, you're missing the process. Just because you go to school to be an engineer, but you never actually go apply for any job, you're missing the process. Just because you say you want a healthy marriage or you want to be a good dad for your kids or a good mom for your kids, but you never read any books, go to any seminars, never try to challenge yourself and your own beliefs and your frameworks, you, you never rise up against yourself, you're missing the process. And the business of vision will never be profitable without process. But process is dirty and it's sweaty and it's messy and it's painful. It makes me mad. But resurrection power is not produced in pretty places. It's produced in a graveyard. Hear me. Some of us are trying to run from the very place where resurrection power is about to be birthed in your life. You're trying to run from that job, that career, that aspiration, that relationship, that thing that you've been facing. You're trying to push it away and not deal with it, but I know it's painful and I know that it looks like death, but you're in the right position today for resurrection power. Luke 7, 24, 28 through 29. We learned that not only do we need reach, do we need resource, but we also need reason. Everybody say reason. We often don't understand the reason why we're going through something while we're going through it. It's not until we get through something that we can look back and understand what God did in the process. And Cleopas makes this clear as he walked seven miles with Jesus, even though he didn't know it was Jesus. Listen, church, you don't have to know God is working for you for him to be working for you. Jesus goes all seven miles and teaches them. And as they approached the village, verse 28, as they approached Emmaus, Jesus acted as if, I underlined that in my Bible because that's funny. I love theater. Jesus does too. Jesus is a play actor right here. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. Jesus got game. He's just playing. Jesus wasn't going anywhere else. He wasn't looking for the next destination. He was on a detour. That was his mission. That seven-mile stretch of road, that was his purpose. But what would have happened had they not urged him to stay? Would he have moved on? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. finish the story because I know you're tired of walking. Seven miles, it's been a long journey. I know you're tired. You're breathing hard. You're ready for some chewies. But we got to finish. We got to go to the last quarter mile. Are you with me? Last quarter mile. Verse 30 through 34. They invite Jesus to stay. He decides to stay. And when he's at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, everybody say then. then. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true. The whole seven mile journey, they didn't recognize him. Maybe there's something different between walking with Jesus and inviting him in. Maybe they could see something at the dinner table that they couldn't see on the dusty road. I want to encourage us today to take the time to see what God has placed before you. Take the time to see what's in your hand. Understand that on this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus has had a resurrection, but just not so that it can be written in the history books of time. He rose from the grave so that you and I can experience resurrection in our own life. So that you and I can walk a seven mile journey, walking away from broken promises, walking away from hopes that are crashed, walking away from just the echoes of our past that we can't seem to get away from and the trauma and the doubts and the confusion. We're all on a seven mile journey here this morning. But do you have the courage to invite him in? Do you have the courage to sit at the table? Because here's what's cool about Jesus. For the whole seven miles, they viewed him as a visitor, but the moment they invited him in, he became an owner. It says he went and got bread and he broke it. He's in their house and he got the food and served it. That's like me going into your house, opening your fridge, getting out some orange juice, pouring a glass and saying, here you go. He went from a visitor to master. I want to encourage you this Resurrection Sunday to walk the seven miles, but also invite a man. Will you stand to your feet? It's not over. It may be finished, but it's not over. Let's say.